Hello, everyone, and welcome on The Barricades. My name is Bujan Stanislavski. I'm the host of the show and the co-host of the show, the usual co-host of the show, Dr. Maria Cerna, <clears throat> coming to you from Bucharest, Romania, is here with us. Hello, Maria. Hello, hello. Hi. And uh, today we're going to discuss uh, a topic which is... Um, Uh, which is very controversial, especially, I would say, in leftist circles, uh, because it's a very divisive thing. Uh, we're going to discuss right-wing populism in Eastern Europe, and we're going to use Bulgaria and uh, Romania and Poland partially also as like uh, case studies or reference points more than case studies, really. Uh, and uh, let's, let's see what kind of political animals are uh, those people, those parties, uh, what... What, what is their political agenda? What is their political offer? If there actually is any comprehensive, uh, co cohesive political offer here. Uh, and spoiler alert, not really. And, uh, and, and let's, let's begin by, uh, yeah, let's begin by a general kind of description and by, uh, by, uh, by referring to the current Romanian political uh, reality. I, I just want to say this for the beginning. We, We've had this organizations, kind of right-wing populist, that's what they are referred to, right-wing populist organizations, thriving all over Europe, but in particular in Eastern Europe. And in Eastern Europe, they are pretty particular because uh, of certain, you know, historical and, and cultural and in terms, especially in terms of political culture, divisions between Western and Eastern Europe. So there are certain peculiarities which, uh, well, hopefully we're going to bring them up here during our discussion and uh, before we we start i just want to uh, urge you to please uh, see all the links which are located in the description box down below you can see the links to all the platforms where our podcasts are available audio podcasts video podcasts in various formats also links to our website and links to Uh, Patreon, PayPal, and Substack, where, uh, you know, Substack, you can subscribe to our newsletter. That would be great if you could go ahead and do that. But but also, you can purchase a paid subscription, which is a lot of, uh, which, which is always like uh, a, a lot of um, uh, kind of, um, a lot of satisfaction for us, so to say, because uh, we feel that our uh, efforts here are appreciated and uh yeah and you can also support us financially via paypal and uh patreon as i said all the links are down below and now uh maria let's let's uh let's talk about right-wing populism in eastern europe and uh, its strengths and weaknesses let's just try and analyze it briefly of course it's not going to be the first discussion it isn't the first discussion about that and so the last discussion those are uh Those are trends, political trends that are going to be developing, in my opinion, uh, in the future, in the foreseeable future, at least. Uh, and uh, they definitely uh, deserve our attention. So, Maria, go ahead. Well, who are the right-wing populists in Romania? The most vocal populists, right-wing populists, are the representatives of the party Our, the Alliance for the Union of Romania, and Diana Shoshwako. Uh, she was a member of the alliance of the union of uh, for the union of romanians but she split and now she has her own political party this political party the alliance for the union of romanian gained almost 10% of the votes it came out of nowhere because the elites 
were not discussing it, and it was the strangest phenomenon ever taking place in recent Romanian history in the sense that not even in the opinion polls this alliance was present. And this shows you a complete detachment of the elites from the realities, political, economic, and social realities of Romania. Can you imagine, Boyan, having opinion polls, discussions before elections, and then ended up with a, with a political party that comes out of nowhere and takes more than 10% of the votes in the parliament. This is unprecedented, I would, I would say, um, in Eastern Europe, I would think. Why was it that these people came to power out of nowhere? Well, not enough research, as I often tell in this program, is conducted to see how was it possible that sociologists, anthropologists, political scientists, intellectuals, media theorists completely, you know, they were taken aback, completely surprised by this phenomenon. And what are what is the electorate? How was it possible that advocating for uh, anti-vaccination campaigns, uh, supporting the wildest conspiracy theories, made it possible for these people to enter Romanian parliament? And how big is actually their support right now? Because uh, recent opinion polls, Boyan, showed that they will be somewhere around 20% of the vote, if not more of the voting intentions, if not more. So a serious political force. Now, it is very complicated to explain how how was this possible. I'm telling you, I'm just hinting at some hypothesis because I think serious sociological research should be conducted to see what is happening to us and how was this possible. Now, what are advocating for? They are the ones pushing the pedal of nationalism and sovereignty because the elites just embarked on this pro-European, pro-European values, pro-integration, pro-NATO discourse that doesn't allow much dissent from it. We are discussing who is more corrupt. We are discussing stealings, thefts, uh, you know, all sorts of shenanigans, but in the mainstream political life in Romania, these things are not questions. Questioned. They were not questioned entering and, join, entering and joining the European Union. They were not questioned. So the theme of sovereignty was simply ignored. And even worse, Boyan, it was, it was attached to backward thinking, to nationalist xenophobic thinking, and it was disparaged, it was disregarded, it was, you know, um, mocked even. And this allowed for this political party to exploit the theme of sovereignty in the European Union. And I will give you just one example. For instance, there is a huge with the grains right now because a lot of Ukrainian grain flooding the Romanian market and Romanian farmers are desperate. And the Alliance for the Union of Romania and especially Georgia Simeon is advocating against the so-called evil 
European Union bureaucrats that are pushing down the throats of Romanian farmers and Romanian citizens this very cheap grain that is destroying the local agriculture and so on and so forth. He's among the very few ones. Again, Romania decided to support Ukraine. Okay, good for us, but it was no debate. And since there was no debate, no real discussion, you have a lot of citizens that are not very thrilled with the idea. And then you have Miss Diana Shoshwaka, a very eccentric, one of the most eccentric politicians that we ever had, the person that yells, screams, that went to the Romanian parliament wearing uh, some sort of very bizarre mask that you mocked her. You said that it resembled some BDSM equipment and she screamed about, you know, the European Union and the globalist elites trying to destroy the Romanian people and all the rest. So she is one of the most unstable I called her eccentric, but she's quite unstable and quite challenged on many fronts. And she is taking pictures with the Russian ambassador. She's saying that Romania would be better off if uh, we would be neutral, if we would get out of NATO. It is the first time since we joined, and we joined in 2004, then that we have this kind of discourse. And now... You would ask me, how come? NATO is often criticized, and it is not criticized somewhere, I don't know, in the Arctic, okay? It is criticized in the United States, in the center, we would say, of the party, so to speak. It is criticized by Americans, by American scholars. So how was it possible that in Romania, only this kind of eccentric politician, somewhere on the fringes of the political life, is criticizing NATO. And if you'll allow me, I will try to make a historical analysis and provide the viewers with a historical context that would allow them to understand how is this possible. And we have to go back at what happened in Romania during the 80s. Since Nicolae Ceausescu took a huge loan for the um, for the International Monetary Fund, he had this crazy idea that he wanted to uh, give it all back, all the money back in 10 years. And as you can imagine, the Romanian citizens were exposed to incredible economic hardships from the fact that we have power shortages to the fact that we had Russians. I went to the market with my to the supermarket with my uh, grandmother and we were allowed to buy a certain amount of oil, a certain amount of bread a certain amount of flour. Can you imagine this? I mean, it was really, really hard. And I think we were, again, exceptional because I think we were among the very, very few nations that really achieved the goal of paying back a huge uh, loan given by the International Monetary Fund. Now, the irony of history in 1989, Poland had also had contracted a huge IMF loan, but they decided to simply erase it, you know. But this is a detail. Anyway, the thing is that Romanians equated uh, getting rid of communism, getting rid of Ceausescu and entering NATO, entering the European Union, joining the Westerners with progress, with 
a good economic life that would allow them to thrive, them and their children. So Ceausescu was eventually taken down by workers who thought and had in in their mind this idea, socialism equals poverty and hardship, capitalism, Western, NATO, European Union equal progress, economic progress and us thriving like the ones in the West who have all these commodities. And um, this was the reason why, for instance, for somebody like Pat Byrne, he is a current guest in our shows and a friend of the show. And I invited him at some point and he was quite surprised. We discussed after the recording and he was quite surprised to learn that Romanians were so enthusiastic about NATO. Well, I gave you the historical context. You have to understand that still today in Romania, a lot of Romanians are enthusiastic about NATO. We have to take it for what it is. There is no point in lying and in hiding. No matter how many documentaries, no matter how many discourses, critical discourses, and especially in the West you have with regards to NATO, still in Romania, is regarded as a source of stability, as a source of guarantor. And now we reach a very interesting point of what? Of European values. It was not clearly stated, but it was in the air in 2000, 2004. It was in the air the idea that if you wanted as a nation like Romania to join the European Union, you would have to also... Uh, join NATO. They came together and they were linked. And this was this idea that security was a precondition for joining NATO and security meant joining this military alliance that is NATO. And Romanians welcomed it. Romanians didn't think for a moment that we were a colony or we were somehow under occupation since we had foreign troops here. No, we welcomed it because the USA, the Americans, they were the embodiment of progress, of economic stability, of security stability. And um, we really thought that by joining these institutions, we would be joining the Westerners in their lavish lifestyle, you know, enjoying all these commodities, being able to go on very expensive vacations and all the rest. That was the mental projection. Uh, and of course, there are not enough studies again and again. I keep repeating this, but I remember how enthusiastic everybody was. If you take the press of the time, if you take how in history textbooks, even today, this is presented like the most important event in the progress of the Romanian state, like something extraordinary that Romanians have achieved, you would see that it was welcomed like, you know, some sort of mythical entering into the Garden of Eden. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I mean, if you take even today's textbooks, you will see that. Now, what happened? And of course, the reality 
bite us. And the reality was a little bit different than this very triumphant discourses that you find in the press and history textbooks and mainstream political life. And this is why it created, after years and years of economic hardship, it created a lot of resentment and it created a lot of disappointment. And of course, you start to have politicians that are really trying to use this in their own advantage to gain political power. It's only natural that this type of event happens. And uh, we didn't have as intellectuals, I think we abandoned our role as of, of critical people that are questioning the power, be it NATO power, European Union power, criticizing all centers of power and providing critical analysis, rational critical analysis. And this created a void, you know, this created a void and a space for politicians, for eccentric politicians like the right-wing populists to come and exploit this area that was not addressed by intellectual, that was not discussed, not even in conferences. If you take the conferences with regards to European Union, I don't think you would find 10% of the presentations and the, the lectures given there and articles written that would be critical with regards to the European Union. And what do you expect when you have this type of consensus? You would expect what Noel Neumann said years ago, the spiral of silence. She is a media theoretician from Germany that explain how when it, there is a mainstream consensus and people feel that they are not represented, they take a step back, but it doesn't mean that they are convinced when given the opportunity, like it happened in the elections, they voted for the party that they felt represent them. So I, I tried to explain so far what happened until now. First of all, the economic hardships meant that Romanian workers, I, I, I remember because I was alive when the Romanian revolution took place and it was not the elites, Boyan, it was the workers that were bitter, that were unsatisfied with the living condition, with the power shortages, with the rations for, for basic food, you know, they were the ones that took down Ceausescu and they were the ones that started to equate socialism with poverty and capitalism with prosperity. Second thing, we equated, unfortunately, unfortunately, a military alliance with the idea of economic prosperity. We equated European values with the idea of a good life and economic prosperity. And here we are. Because this for a lot of people, even today, Boyan, there is a problem because a lot of intellectuals in Romania, and this saddens me a lot, because a lot of intellectuals just fail to admit that for a lot of people, this project did not provide, you know, and did not live up to the expectations that we had. And for a lot of people, these projects meant economic hardships, even disaster. It meant people having, having to go abroad and work in lousy jobs and very, very exploitative situations to send home just a little bit of money and leaving their children here just to be abused and beaten by relatives. And it was, uh, for a lot of people, 
it was a disaster. And even today, a lot of intellectuals don't want to acknowledge this. And they just say things like, we would have been a lot worse in a different situation. Maybe. But this doesn't raise the suffering and the hardships that millions of Romanians endured. You just cannot say, but I think we would have been worse. I'm telling you, I'm willing to accept this, but it doesn't mean and it doesn't. It doesn't erase what happened for millions of Romanians. And unfortunately, they are not able to discuss it in the rational terms. They think of the alternative to the European Union and NATO as something unthinkable, unthinkable, like hell on earth. Okay, this is their stance. My stance, I think, is a little bit more nuanced. In a sense that you would probably ask me now, and you asked me, do you remember that we had a heated debate with Yuri? about the prospects of Romania. And I, uh, I would like now to discuss a little bit about the future and to discuss the prospects because you were taken aback and you were surprised, isn't it, to find out that I was not very enthusiastic with the idea of the NATO withdrawal from Romania. You remember that uh, heated discussion that we had. Well, why was I not enthusiastic about it? Well, again, history. Romania had a wonderful leader, a progressive leader, somewhere in the middle of the 19th century, Alexandru Ioan Cuza. I mean, even for today, he was progressive. He gave the voting rights and education rights to women. He uh, advocated for uh, equality. He wanted and he was the one that took back and nationalized the wealth of the monasteries. The Orthodox monasteries were feudal institutions that own a lot of Roma slaves and a lot of land and a lot of resources. And he was the one that nationalized it. So he was fantastic in this sense. But then he was taken down. He had a vision for our country. But he was taken down by the most reactionary feudal elites in Romania, even today in history textbooks, this coalition that was formed against Alexandru Ioan Cuza is known as the monstrous coalition. And they took him down. And ever since, Romanian and Romanian elites and Romanians built their dreams and their hopes for a better world around this idea that they have to get rid of something. First, they had to get rid of the legionaries and join the Communist Party. Then we had to get rid of socialism, but socialism was equated with the hardships endured by the Romanians in the last decade of Ceausescu's rule. Then we had to get rid also of Ceausescu. Then we had to get rid of Iliescu, another very popular leader and president of Romanians. He had two turns. Then we have to get rid of what? Now we have Shoshaka and the others saying that we have to get rid of NATO, we have to get rid of European Union. But my question, and I think is a valid question, is then what? What are you proposing? Because, as you can expect, Boyan, these right-wingers, these populists, in terms of economic solutions, they, can, they come up with nothing. They just say that we have to reject globalism. Meaning what? That you are replacing an international company exploiting workers with a local owner, business owner exploiting workers? No, thank you. I don't think that's really progress. You are just 
transforming a global capitalism with local capitalism, putting and maintaining in place the same exploitative system. I don't see a source of progress here, sorry. And my intuition is that these people are using the idea and discontent that the Romanians develop over the years towards these projects, NATO and European Union coming together as a package to advance their very cheap and very, how should I say, narrow-minded uh, political, uh, you know, uh, goals and to grab power. But, but then what? They don't have a plan. They don't have a vision for this country. And uh, of course, I'm speculating here, but if you'll allow me to speculate a little bit, knowing these people and looking at them and seeing how emotionally and intellectually challenged they are, how am I supposed to put my hopes in them? How am I supposed to think that, okay, NATO withdrew tomorrow and we have people like Diana Shoshaka in positions of power? I mean, it's even, in a sense, even worse than what we have today, uh, in a sense. Uh, so, I really don't see in, maybe I'm too pessimistic, I would like you to push back. But uh, first of all, I don't see uh, a source of progress for Romania if we don't break this chain of linking our hopes and visions for a better future to the idea of getting rid of someone or something. Second of all, I don't see how we can progress if we don't come up with a vision, if we don't have an idea. And um, maybe NATO will go. I would like for the first, for the last part to emphasize the thing that if NATO withdraws, it will withdraw because given the geopolitical context, maybe de-dollarization and everything that's going on in the international arena will make difficult to keep its troops here. But for the moment, the situation is so unequal, the political forces are so much on the fringes of the, the debates and the political debates and political power that it will be almost impossible for Romanians to assert themselves and to provide an alternative. I mean, it is not that we are not capable, but even if we were capable, it will be very difficult to, to take down the shackles, you know, of this international context that makes Romania um, a periphery of, uh, of the United States uh, and um, a periphery of the European Union and very dependent of these two structures. Right. Uh, so, Maria, you made so many points. There's so much I could potentially, you know, respond to. And uh, since we're running out of time, we've got less than three minutes uh, until the end of the segment. I think uh, I'm just going to say this uh, and, and then I will try to make a few points in the second segment. Uh, I'm just going to say this. There, you, you pose the question whether if we if we were luckier Okay, or if we were not as unlucky, <laughs> if we hadn't had this bad luck to uh, to carry out this uh, to to carry out this transition to capitalism, you know, and the Westernization of Romania and Eastern Europe in the eighties, then 
potentially things could have been different. And you know what? I, uh, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Like in a sense, you know, it was really a very unfortunate period. The, uh, uh, the social welfare state in Europe started to crumble in the 80s. The working class of Western Europe was, uh, you know, faced horrifying defeats, especially at the hands of Ta- uh, Thatcher, you know, and, and in America at the hands of, at the hands of Reagan. Um, and uh, neoliberalism was basically started thriving, right, at this particular point. So, you know, we, we kind of opened up ourselves kind of opened up our political systems with all their with all the flaws that have you know that had been in place right before 1989 but we've opened up ourselves our countries our economies our cultures our societies to this uh new form of capitalism which uh no one had any idea what is it going to bring upon us right because everybody had this idea from people who had occasionally traveled to the West, you know, that everything is welfare state, you know, strong trade unions, abundance of things, you know. And that was not something uh, that we were going to experience. We were going to experience actually the kind of the opposite of it, like the new form of organization of capitalism, which is super dangerous. And it's still in place and very much uh, thriving, despite what some leftists are saying that, you know, neoliberalism is not on the rise anymore. And it's not the central kind of, you know, central ideology of the ruling classes in the West. It still is. And it's very dangerous because the ultimate aim of neoliberalism is to to organize capitalism in, in a in a kind of structure, in a, in a kind of architecture where there is no democracy, where there is this liberalism, which is only very superficial. You can see that with all the new ideological trends like wokeism and stuff like that. It's sup- it's very superficial. And, and it su- I mean, superficially gives you the kind of understanding that people are liberated, mm-hmm. but they are not because it's actually very, very uh, authoritarian. And uh, we can talk about that some other time. So, yeah, we were... we. we it, we were not lucky, that's true, but still, that doesn't really uh, that doesn't that doesn't explain things. I mean, that explains the context, but uh, you know, fact of the matter is that all those processes that you described, I think that they are, by and large, a reaction to neoliberalism and to everything, the, the cultural cover for neoliberalism, and uh, I think that was to be expected. I don't understand why. People, I'm not an academic. You are there. Maybe you can talk about that later again. <clears throat> Although you mentioned this, I mean, you made this point a few times here and and before in our uh, previous shows. W- what's wrong with the scientists, with the sociologists, with the historians, with the mm, political scientists? What's wrong with them that they didn't that they were not able to grasp something like that is coming? This is a mystery to me. I mean, I, I may perhaps I'm naive here. I'm being naive here. Uh, thinking that, you know, uh, academics do have some level of independence in terms of thinking and analyzing. Maybe that's not the case. I don't know. Or maybe they are just ignorant. Like that's, that's, or maybe that's a combination of benefactors. But this is very, very, very disappointing that, uh, uh, that uh, things have, uh, things have turned out this way that, you know, no one was able to somehow foresee it. And now everybody's treating this as a, as ultimate danger. It's like things are gonna, you know, yeah. fall. Like if we if we leave NATO, yeah. things are gonna. Do you remember Brexit? Like everybody was like, you, <laughs> I mean, everybody yeah, everybody that. was was panicking. Like if 
it ever happens, like if Brexit is actually carried out, then the world is going to crumble. European Union is going to fall apart. You know, <laughs> none of this has happened. I mean, things are not great, but things haven't been great before either. So like, you know, for people like, uh, you know, our compatriots. Yes, in I very much like this 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 program and I <laughs> hope the viewers like it because I want us to to provide this type of calm analysis, even in heated situations. I mean, this type of emotional hype leads us nowhere, leads us to a sort of a cognitive detachment from reality that is not good at all for, for yeah. us and for the rest of the society. Yeah. Okay, I, uh, we have to finish now. Uh, so thanks again yeah. for watching. Uh, thanks for watching, not again. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for uh, following us on various platforms. Uh, once again, <clears throat> if you consider this an interesting uh, show, an interesting discussion, interesting content, then please consider subscribing, uh, liking, commenting, sharing our videos, uh, and of course, supporting us financially. We're not monetizing our videos on YouTube because, I'm sorry, we just cannot you know, mind our language to the extent that, you know, to play with all the algorithms. We just want to be kind of have us normal uh, discussion and dialogue here. So uh, please uh, consider um, financial support too, PayPal, Patreon, and also Substack. Thank you very much and uh, see you in the next segment.